welcome to the Madden America podcast, your source for science, psychiatry and social justice. Hello, this is James and welcome to the podcast. And this week we hear from Dr. Adam Urato. Adam graduated from Harvard Medical School in 1997 and has been practicing medicine for over 25 years, specializing in obstetrics and gynecology. He cares for pregnant women on a daily basis as an attending maternal fetal medicine physician at Metro West Medical Center in Framingham, Massachusetts. He also writes and lectures regularly on antidepressant use during pregnancy. Adam has contributed to Madden America's continuing education efforts, and his free course, Antidepressants and Pregnancy, can be found on Madden America's education section. And I highly recommend that you watch it, as it's an informative and comprehensive look into a little-discussed but very important area of women's health. For this interview, Adam joined me to discuss what we do and don't know about the effects of antidepressants on babies and mothers, and also the importance of counselling in order to aid families in making important decisions about pharmaceutical drug use. Dr. Urato, Adam, uh, welcome. Thank you so much for joining me today for the Madden America podcast. You know, I have to say that um, you're someone that I, I, I'm really excited that we can get to talk to. and We've had a lot of interest in hearing from someone with your kind of particular skills and abilities. So thank you for joining us. It's a real pleasure to be here and thanks for having me. Great, thank you. Um, you're a, a specialist in obstetrics and gynecology, and you've been practicing medicine for over 20 years now. But in addition, I think it's fair to say you developed a, a critical way, a view of the way that some prescription drugs are used for pregnant women. So to, to kind of get us underway, I wondered if you could tell us a little bit about you and you know how you came to have the interests that you have, and what was it perhaps that led you to question some of the conventional wisdom in this area? Sure. I think it's a great question. Um, I went into obstetrics uh, because when I came through med school, it was it was a really cool thing. I really loved uh, I love doing it. Um, it's a it's a it's a great and, I, and I'm very grateful that I'm able to do this every day. It's a it's a very uh, diverse field as far as you know what we're doing uh, on a day to day basis. Um, and we're taking care of pregnancy and pregnant women, but we end up dealing with the medical issues, um, surgical issues. Uh, certainly, I I still deliver babies, so do operations, C sections, and vaginal delivery and deal with that aspect of it, um, as well as the in-office things. Um, most of the time, I'm doing ultrasound. I'm a full-time clinician. I take care of patients all day, uh, all, the, all the time. And um, in my hometown, I, I, it's, uh, I take care of patients at the hospital where I was born, which is a, a, real, uh, a real pleasure for me. It's, it's really great to be you know, active in, in my hometown, my home community where I, where I grew up, where I was born and raised. Um, and uh, I think the other element to it, honestly, is that it, it, it's, a, it's, it's a miracle. Uh, it really is, you know, the developing baby and, uh, and life. And I know that sounds a little bit corny, but um, it really is. It's a, great, uh, it's, a, it's a great job to have. And as I said, I'm, I'm very grateful I have a chance to do it. As far as my interest goes in uh, medications, I think this is something that I began to get interested in in medical school when I was seeing um, how many medications our patients were on, I remember when I did an internal, my internal medicine rotation, uh, my chief resident told me that we used to write with that paper and pen at the time. They said, when they come in, fold up your paper, and on the right side of the paper, you make a list of all their medications, and it'll typically be anywhere between 10 and 15 to 20 medications. And I remember thinking at the time, like... 
you know, what are the, the interactions between all of these, you know, medications that we're using? Um, and then when I did my obstetrics, uh, and, and eventually I did residency in obstetrics and gynecology, uh, I remember he hearing or the discussions about, well, this drug is safe in pregnancy. And it really got me to thinking like about drugs and drug safety. One of my overarching sort of approaches to this that I really try to emphasize to people is that um, medications, for the most part, are synthetic chemical compounds. And I really try to get people to think about that and understand it, because I think that the, uh, the pharmaceutical industry has done a great job at sort of portraying them in their ads and the commercials that we have over here and even in their, their, um, their print ads as uh, blue skies and trees and beaches and rainbows and all of these sorts of things that, that kind of distract you and take your eye off the ball a little bit. At the end of the day, medications are synthetic chemical compounds. They're coming out of a chemical factory, and, um, and they have chemical effects. That's what chemicals do. They have chemical effects. And so, I think I, I was looking, even as a medical student, when I was looking at the, the lists of medications, 15 or 20 medications, and, and seeing that as a large uh, number of chemicals that these patients were ingesting, and then certainly as pertains to pregnancy, um, with the issues about chemical exposure to a developing fetus. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for sharing that. You know, I, I mentioned in our intro that the um, continuing education course you did for Madden America, which, you know, I, I recommend that people go and, and watch. And uh, the, I think the phrase you used in that was chemicals have consequences. And that really stuck with me. You know, it's such a, a useful phrase to have in mind when, as you say, you know, we're sold some medications almost as if they're a kind of a lifestyle accessory almost but really you know they, they really are as you say chemical compounds that that you know have effects on the body you just made my day by using that phrase because it's one that i use commonly and um i think my sons would say oh my god there's dad using that phrase again but um <laughs> but yeah that's something that i think is important to get across to people is that uh, chemicals have consequences chemical compounds have chemical effects in biologic systems that's what they do and for us to always keep that in mind it doesn't mean you can't use a medication it doesn't mean you can't take a medication but it means that whenever you're taking it, you need to keep in mind that it is a chemical and that it does have chemical effects and then be able to balance out, well, is the benefit I'm going to get from this going to offset these, these chemical effects? I actually encourage people uh, to really embrace this. And if you're going to take a medication or thinking about taking a medication, it's worth even looking it up, the chemical structure on Google or some other site just to see. You'll see the, the rings, uh, the, the car carbon atoms, the nitrogens or whatnot, and understand that this is a synthetic chemical compound that you're about to ingest, and that it's going to go into um, not just the location of of what you're trying to address, like if you have a headache to your head or if, you're, if your knee hurts to your knee, it's typically going all over your body throughout all of your cells and going to have a consequence, it's going to have a chemical impact. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Adam. Thank, thank you so much. So um, to talk perhaps, uh, you know, about some of those effects a little bit more. So people listening will know that serotonin is often talked about as being important in the treatment of depression, which I think it's fair to say in itself is a bit questionable. But it turns out that serotonin is pretty crucial in fetal development. So I wondered if you could share with us a little bit about this and, and then, you know, why we should be concerned about the effects of SSRIs on the mother's body as well. 
Sure, absolutely. Um, uh, b- before I go on, I do just want to jump in, and I do just want to make one point clear, which is that I think you're a- you're asking me excellent questions, and I think a lot of times, though, people hear these questions and they hear the answers to them. And what they're hearing is, then this means that a pregnant woman should not be maintained on the medication. And I just wanted to make it clear that that's actually a separate question. And that's something that I hope we can get into later. But Pregnant women, women who are uh, suffering from depression during pregnancy or other mental health issues, they need compassion, they need good care, and they shouldn't be ignored or left to suffer. Uh, and that's not the way to treat or approach uh, a pregnant woman with a, having a mental health issue. I do this all day, every day in my office, and I work in the community where I grew up and I live in. And so these are my neighbors, and like I take really good care of them. If they come to me and they've got a mental health issue, if they're on an um, an antidepressant or another psychotropic medication, we don't you don't make them feel guilty, you don't embarrass them, you treat them with kindness, with sympathy, with dignity, and you work with them for coming up with the best plan for how to manage their uh, mental health issue during the pregnancy. And I always tell them that the the goal we don't tell you look you're pregnant so you just need to suffer and do poorly. Like, that's not the way to treat a pregnant woman. So, I wanted to just put that out there and be clear about that because I think people sometimes mistake a discussion about the chemical effects of the antidepressants on the developing fetus with a discussion about how pregnant women uh, on medication should be managed. And I just want to be clear that, I, that those, are two, those are two separate things. With that being said, I think that uh, your, your question's a good one about, um, about effects, about fetal effects. Um, as you were saying, there's been a lot of recent controversy about that whole model of there being a, a serotonin deficiency in uh, Joanna Moncrief's paper that came out that, um, that got a lot of attention uh, this past um, a few months ago. Um, I think serotonin, uh, it's important, again, to focus on the science of it. Serotonin is a crucial cell signaling molecule. Um, it's a neurotransmitter and it modulates development, developmental processes, um, like cell proliferation, cell migration, basically when it comes to the brain, like wiring the brain, circuit wiring for the brain, it acts as a chemical messenger. So that system is, is crucially important. And in a, in a developing baby, right off the bat with the embryo, those serotonergic neurons, those, that serotonin system is, uh, is important early uh, in the development of the embryo. And then it goes on from there through development, serotonin plays a crucial uh, a crucial role in development throughout throughout the um, throughout the fetus, uh, in particular the brain. That's what we tend to focus on with questions about you know neurobehavioral issues, but also in the gut, in the bones, etc. Serotonin is a it's a crucial crucial cell signaling molecule, molecule a crucial neurotransmitter, um, which then gets back to what we were just discussing, which is that if you take a chemical and you alter that the function or that serotonin system, how that normal serotonin system is supposed to work, it'll have consequences. You'd expect to have, um, you'd expect to have uh, comp- possible complications with that. And I think we do see that. 
the studies on antidepressant use in pregnancy uh, are numerous and challenging uh, for a variety of reasons. Um, there is no randomized control trial uh, for um, for antidepressant use in pregnancy. It's not considered to be ethical to take a group of women and randomize half of them to the drug and the other half to um, other treatments. That being said, we still have a lot of accumulated data uh, over the years to be able to kind of look at these things. Right now, my reading of the literature um, is that there's links to um, miscarriage, uh, to birth defects, to preterm birth, also, a condition called preeclampsia, which is a, a well-known complication in pregnancy where the mom gets high blood pressure, typically protein in her urine at the end of pregnancy. Um, also, postpartum hemorrhage. Uh, women are at higher risk of postpartum hemorrhage uh, who are on um, SSRI antidepressants. Um, Gov.uk, actually, there's a warning that they put out recently about this that, um, that the, the UK put out on that. Um, and then there's all, and then from there, there's the newborn behavioral issues, uh, newborn behavioral syndrome, um, which are, we can get into this more, but a constellation um, of, of problems or issues for the baby, including agitation, restlessness, irritability, uh, poor feeding, trouble sleeping, low blood sugar, hypoglycemia, trouble with um, uh, warmth regulation, hypothermia, respiratory distress, uh, hyperreflexia, tremors, seizures. These things, uh, some degree of them go into this newborn behavioral syndrome, which is, which is uh, more common uh, with antidepressant exposure in pregnancy. This um, all kind of hangs together, I think, with... Um, with a chemical exposure to to a developing fetus uh, and to the mom, in, in, in tr as far as like postpartum hemorrhage goes. And Adam, forgive me, I, I should know this from from watching your your talk, but I I, I can't quite remember. Um, Doing so, obviously, SSRIs are made such that they can cross the blood brain barrier. You know, to 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 get to where I suppose that you know the size of activation. Does that also mean that they can cross the placenta? Do we know that? Absolutely. Yeah, it's a great question. I should have let off with that. I was sort of giving that, uh, discussing that uh, with the with that assumption, but that's an important point to make. They do cross the placenta for sure. Those studies have been done where we um, check the baby's uh, cord blood, where we sample, and you can find uh, levels um, of the of the antidepressant in the fetus. For sure, they're crossing over into the uh, into the fetus during pregnancy throughout throughout development. Yeah, that's hugely important, isn't it? And, you know, I, I also want to say that, you know, when, when you, again, you know, referring back to your talk, when you talk about the, the evidence supporting, um, you know, the risk of harm to the fetus from SSRIs, you know, you're, you're quoting papers in the big medical journals, aren't you? So this, this isn't fringe science, is it? This is, this is really, you know, quite well-established um, evidence that's sitting in some of the biggest medical journals about this. Sure, absolutely. Yeah, no, that, that that's exactly that's exactly right. Um uh, in, in fact, just uh, just recently, the the CDC group, uh, this was a few years ago, put out their data on birth defects, uh, which showed a link to birth defects with the antidepressants, uh, in particular, um, benlafaxine, but also the SSRIs as well, um, Effexors and SNRI. This is published in a big journal, mainstream journal. This is mainstream medicine, and also on the CDC's website, for that matter. If you look up birth defects with use of antidepressants, you will find that the CDC does highlight that, that study that, uh, that did show that link. 
And, um, you know, you, you were talking about some of the kind of behavioral issues that, you know, might, af- might affect babies that have been exposed before birth. And, you know, I guess there's probably, there could be issues after birth as well, aren't there? So I understand that the children born of mothers who were on antidepressants can experience neonatal withdrawal sy- syndrome. And, and you know, I, I wondered if you had come across that, whether you had an experience with it, you know, what might be the effect on the baby when this happens and how can it be managed? If you think about these drugs, we know that they can affect serotonin signaling. They're, uh, they're selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. Uh, we believe that that's what they're doing. They're having an impact on the serotonin system. If we say scientifically that, okay, we know they affect the serotonin system, and we know the serotonin system is crucial for the developing fetal brain, so if you put those two parts of of the equation together, then you, you can conclude that there's going to be impact on the developing fetal brain from a fetus being exposed to an SSRI antidepressant uh, or other antidepressant uh, throughout pregnancy, throughout the development of the brain. And we're actually, um, and we do see that in particular, uh, we see that right off the bat with the newborn behavioral syndrome. People also call it the newborn withdrawal syndrome, but it's believed to maybe not be just withdrawal. And the reason for that is we see some of these things right from the get-go. And so, uh, the other other thing that kind of points to that is that... um, there are stu- there's a very interesting study that was done back, I think it was done in 2011. I believe the lead author was Mulder. And he did um, a very interesting study where uh, he looked at women who he knew confirmed users of SSRIs and followed them by ultrasound, the fetuses, and compared them to depressed women not on medication and also to just normal controls. And that group uh, was able to demonstrate changes in ultrasound parameters, particularly with behavior, with behavior of the fetuses throughout pregnancy. Um, And we saw, for example, in the third trimester, the fetuses exposed to the antidepressants, um, I believe, were getting less uh, non-REM sleep, and they were more sort of active, more, more motion. So, we see we can see some of these effects even in utero, which again, to me, makes sense. You're putting a chemical into the fetal brain that can affect the serotonin system. The serotonin system plays a crucial role. Serotonin plays a crucial role in development of that brain and cell signaling, et cetera. So if you're doing that, you'd expect that you might see effects. We do see some of those effects. And then after birth, we see these effects. Looking long-term or longer-term, it gets harder to study. And um, those studies are mixed, but there certainly is a signal um, for things like autism, uh, ADHD, uh, language processing, uh, motor function. Also, um, there's been a recent paper uh, looking at um, gastrointestinal complaints, which uh, again would make sense because of serotonin's important role in the gastrointestinal system both of the developing fetus as well as adults, it plays an important role. Um, so I think that uh, I think that it, it sort of hangs together scientifically that if you're using this chemical that affects serotonin, and if serotonin does play a critical role in fetal development, then there are likely to be uh, complications and concerns with that. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Thank you, Adam. And yeah, you you make such an important point about 
the delicate balance needed to help people understand what the risks might be and to help them make the best choice for them and their child and, and their family. So, you know, I, I wondered if we could talk about this, you know, you, you, you know, you're a clinician now. So w- when you are counseling a woman or a couple who might be thinking of having children, you know, wh- I, I mean, what, you know, what do you tell them? How do you balance that need to give them as an informed consent as possible? You know, bearing in mind, they might not have had the information they needed when they started on SSRIs, you know, balanced with um, how they make the best decisions for them and their family going forward. Sure. So this is a really important point that and I'd like to make that I think that this message and this counseling really needs to go out to women of childbearing age uh, as opposed to trying to address it once the woman's pregnant. And and maybe the, mo- the major reason for that is that these drugs, as we're realizing more and more, are very difficult to get off of for, some, for many patients. And so you don't want to be throwing in, typically, it's hard to throw in to withdrawal uh, into the mix uh, with a patient who is newly pregnant and undergoing all of the challenges of the first trimester with things like nausea and vomiting, exhaustion, and the sort of changes in your life that occur when you get pregnant. And so it becomes a very difficult conversation to try to sort through at the time of pregnancy, at that first visit, in that first trimester. And really, this is a a message or education that needs to go out to women of childbearing age and and physicians who take care of women of childbearing age. And I think you could argue a message that should go out to everybody, which is what are these risks um, and and potential benefits, alternatives, et cetera, and and, and whether or not you want to be on them. So I think that when they're pregnant, we do as I was saying earlier, which is that I tell them that, you know, we don't want you suffering and you treat them with compassion and you don't make them feel guilty for being on something and you try to individualize it. A lot of people look for just the one size fits all answer. Should women be on them or should women be off them? What's the one size fits all answer? And it really doesn't work that way. If a woman is on a medication that she's stable on, she's doing well on it, and she feels that, no, if she comes off, she'll do poorly, she'll be suffering, she won't be functional, Um, then that is something that has to be taken into consideration um, with the counseling as well as with her desire to stay on the medication. And I have a lot of patients who do that, who stay on the medication during their pregnancy, and when they make that decision, I support them, I take good care of them. That's the way to, to... to, I think to handle that or address that. Going back previously or uh, before they get pregnant, uh, really during the preconceptional time or the time that the drug is started, though, is where I think there really needs to be this effort to let patients know, patients in general, in particular women of childbearing age know, look, these are the risks of the medication, including the difficulty with coming off of them, the difficulty with stopping, and that you may end up pregnant on this medication and uh, with with the, these issues of fetal exposure and potential pregnancy complications and fetal complications. I think that needs to be weighed more into the calculus uh, than perhaps it is. 
it's probably it probably is an informed consent issue as well, isn't it? You know that when people start these drugs, m- m- many many I I know hardly anybody that was told when they were prescribed SSRIs or, or even antipsychotics for that matter that they can be difficult to get off. So of course you know when they if they might be planning on becoming pregnant, then they've no idea that there might be a bit of a hurdle there for them to do that and. You know, I, I, I read recently that, you know, the fact that antidepressant and antipsychotic use in pregnancy has doubled in the last decade. I think you actually shared a, a paper on that recently. So, you know, should we be concerned about that? And should we be trying to ensure that informed consent for, uh, you know, maternal age women is is somehow strengthened? Sure, absolutely. Yeah, I look at this again through a lens of chemical exposure and just stepping back from it, if you're asking the question that we've got a doubling of chemical exposure now to um, to pregnant moms and their developing babies, is that concerning? Absolutely. Um, I think uh, I think it's important to take mental health seriously. I think it's important, as I was saying, you know, before to provide good care. But I think that um, I think that. It, it, Given the uh, given the the science on this, and again, this gets into the the science of of of, of what kind of evidence of benefit we're seeing, um, which looks in many cases to be quite small um, or absent, um, and certainly looking long term at how patients are doing, um, it looks like that the the, the longer term outcomes um, are are not the rosy picture that was originally painted of these medications when they came out yeah yeah absolutely and, and so then um you know we, we we talked a little while ago about evidence of exposure harm being in the big medical journals so you know we, we, with this kind of knowledge within the medical community i just wondered what you know what the response response of the regulator the food and drugs administration has been to these issues it's been, I would say, woefully inadequate. Um, I think that we're not doing a good job with uh, drug regulation um, in our society, uh, in the United States and probably around the world, uh, that uh, we're really dropping the ball on informing the public about medications, about their effects, and um, and, and, and with the issue of drug regulation. Um, we may get into McKenna. McKenna is a drug that we use um, in... Uh, in pregnancy, or we we had used in pregnancy for about the last 20 years in the United States. It's a synthetic hormone, a synthetic chemical compound, a synthetic hormone that we that was being injected into women to prevent preterm birth. Uh, it was FDA approved in 2011. Um, it was being used even before then, but. It's, it's subsequent evidence has shown that um, it, it doesn't work. It doesn't appear to actually stop preterm birth. And uh, there, are, there are risks associated with it. When you step back from that and you sort of look at that, you say, geez, we've been, we've been injecting pregnant women with a synthetic hormone that doesn't work for basically the last 20 years. Uh, something has really failed there. Um, and I think it's, a, it's been a failure of, uh, of drug regulation. Um, and I think uh, that's not just on the issue of McKenna. I think that's uh, in other areas as well. I think we need better warnings for the public. If you look, for example, at the labeling on the SSRIs or Prozac, there is a medication guide at the end of the um, at the end of the label. But I think most patients and probably most providers aren't 
aren't looking at that and aren't addressing all of those issues, I would recommend anybody listening to this podcast to um, to, to read through that medication guide because they, they, the FDA there is highlighting uh, many of the problems with these medications, many of these chemical effects, but it doesn't seem to translate to actually getting out uh, into the public this information uh, as well as it should so that uh, people are more aware of these things. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's a really good point, Adam. Thank you. And, you know, I, I am one of those sad individuals that has actually read through the leaflet of the drugs that, <laughs> that, that I had. And, and there's a big section under the lists of adverse events where it says incidents unknown. And there's a whole list under there. And I, of course, you could read that and think, oh, well, you know, because it's not known, it must be so rare that, you know, it, that, that it's not worth capturing. But at Actually, I believe that incidents unknown means it could be a major problem, but there's just not enough research to prove one way or the other. I think that's a great point. Absolutely. The incidents unknown shouldn't be reassuring. It can it'd be quite concerning that that's there. I just I, I I wanted to just highlight on the on the on the in that medication guide, uh, one of the things that they say uh, is that before starting Prozac, tell your healthcare provider if you are pregnant or plan to become pregnant, it is not known if Prozac will harm your unborn baby. <laughs> that's the unknown that you're getting at, that, that, that they're basically laying that out there. And that's what patients always ask in the office. That's what they want to know before they're taking a drug or being exposed to anything. Pregnant women will typically ask, can this uh, hurt my, my baby? Can this affect my baby? And um, it's actually, pregnant women are smart about these things as far as um, trying to minimize exposures, minimize exposures to things that, that, that could harm their baby. And so I think that we need to, um, to do a better job at getting that information out there that um, there is evidence uh, of harm. There is scientific evidence of harm and that that needs to be cal uh, put into the calculation uh, for, uh, for moms and families when deciding about these things. You kind of remind me, Adam, that, you know, it, here in the UK, we, we did have a terrible experience in the late 1950s with the drug thalidomide. And interestingly, although our regulator didn't block it, it was blocked, I believe, by the FDA in, in the US. But, you know, the, the fallout of that was um, was just horrific. And, uh, you know, we, we, we must avoid any kind of situation like that with a drug that causes such terrible problems for, for babies and for mothers. Yeah, no, it's very sad that, uh, as you said, that the FDA uh, was able to block that, and uh, and subsequently we've seen that they haven't done, I think, uh, or aren't doing as good a job, um, and certainly not with McKenna. Uh, the McKenna story I talk about a lot because it's active right now, but the um, the it was initially approved based on one very flawed trial, very very flawed trial um, from two thousand and three. Uh, it was. Um, a lot of problems with that initial study, but it was given uh, accelerated approval in 2011. Accelerated approval, the idea of that is to get drugs onto market that uh, have a significant need, and preterm birth was a significant need, so they got it on on the basis of that one study. But the idea was that the company would be required to do a confirmatory trial um, 
in 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 short order or quickly to be able to actually demonstrate a benefit but it it didn't happen quickly it this went on for years where we kept giving pregnant women this drug until finally in 2019 so 8 years after the initial approval finally the second study results became available and showed that the drug actually didn't work in the meantime Thousands and thousands of women uh, had been exposed. The company had made billions of dollars off of the drug. But what's really disappointing is that even after 2019, it was March of 2019, in fact, um, that that became known that uh, the drug didn't work. Even from that point, the drug still hasn't been pulled off the market. The FDA has called for it. There have been a, a few meetings on this. Uh, people think that it's imminent, that this is going to occur. But we're almost four years now after the drug was shown not to work. The confirmatory trial failed. We're now four years after that, and it still hasn't been pulled off the market. There are still women that can be injected with this ineffective synthetic hormone that carries risks. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I could be wrong about this, but wasn't there some issue about it, it being preferentially used for black women over white mothers? Is that Was that true? I'd see that as just sort of corporate or big pharma spin at its worst. The, the trial failed, the confirmatory trial failed. So they were trying to salvage it by saying that, well, the first trial was done uh, with a lot of black women in that trial, and the second one was done with few black women. So we can look at this as a drug that helps black women, and we shouldn't take it a drug off the market that helps black women. They were basically uh, using a racial equity argument, uh, which I thought was, um, which was uh, misleading and unethical, because actually the drug, the FDA had looked at both studies uh, based on race and had not found that... Uh, it made any difference. In fact, the initial trial, the 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 um, trial from 2003, did not show a selective benefit in blacks. Um, that was being done, uh, I think, as I say, that, that sort of corporate spin at its worst, a way of trying to salvage the drug or keep it on the market by using a, a misleading racial equity argument um, that uh, fortunately it looks like the FDA didn't buy, and we're hoping that the withdrawal of the drug is going to be imminent, although I've been feeling that way, I think, for the last four years since 2019, but hopefully this is going to be coming, uh, coming in the pipeline soon. I did just want to make a comment going back to something you'd said about in particular to pregnancy. Pregnancy or developing a baby is a time where there's a lot of um, development, a lot of change, a lot of rapid change. So when you've got a rapidly changing or rapidly developing biologic system, it's particularly sensitive to these chemical exposures that I'm talking about. And so I think that that's you know why in particular, obviously we're concerned with pregnancy for the developing baby, but in particular, we can see harms because we've got a rapidly developing biological system that we're then putting a chemical exposure into. And I think that that, that leads to the, the, the possibility for, for more harm. It's interesting because uh, another area where we see sort of a rapidly developing biological system is, uh, for example, in, in sperm formation for males. And when the studies have been done looking at SSRI use and, uh, and sperm and semen analysis, we see an effect from SSRI use on, uh, on semen analysis. We see uh, DNA fragmentation. We see lower concentrations. And so that's a, a, another example of a sort of 
rapidly developing uh, process, sperm or semen formation, that's being subjected to uh, a chemical exposure, and we're seeing results from that. Uh, uh, several studies have shown that. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, it's so important to have these discussions, isn't it? Because it's, it's really not... You know, I, I, if these papers are in medical journals, then that, that's great. But for the average person in the street, you know, they, they have little to no chance of actually getting at the information that they need to make some really pretty fundamentally important decisions for themselves and their families. This is a huge problem trying to get the trying to get the information for patients. It's a big problem. And I think that part of that honestly speaks to um, the power of the pharmaceutical industry, the drug and device industry. Uh, our system of regulation, as well as our system of uh, informing the public, has become rigged. Uh, and it's being rigged by corporate cash. It's being rigged by the big pharma cash, I think, is the way to think about that. I guess I'd, I'd encourage listeners to think of like, in an ideal world, you would have drug companies trying to come up with drugs, and then they would come out with these, and then you would have um, an aggressive academic community, your universities, your experts, your specialists, who would really go over that data with a with a with a, a, a skeptical eye and would really try to probe and see: Does this stuff work? Is this going to be good for the public? So, my vision of how this should be working would be: You know, your academic centers, your academic medical centers, really holding pharma's feet to the fire and looking at these drugs and investigating and standing up for the public. And your FDA would also function the same way. They would stand firm and strong for the public. But what's happened is, is that the FDA is funded by the pharmaceutical industry and many of the FDA folks leave, pharma, leave, leave the FDA to go work for pharma. It's a revolving door. And the same thing is true in academic medicine. M many of your leading universities are funded by pharma. The researchers are funded by pharma. So you end up with the pharmaceutical industry basically creating what I would call a corporate conventional wisdom around drugs, whether it's McKenna for preterm birth or antidepressants. The, the pharmaceutical industry creates that corporate conventional wisdom Typically, they roll it out with a it's, a, it's a corporate rollout with a, with a, with a story, with spin. You've got a serotonin chemical imbalance. We give you this drug, corrects the imbalance, makes your life better, everyone's life better. They roll that out, and then they're assisted in that rollout. I mean, nobody would believe it if it were just the pharmaceutical company saying this. But when you've got your leading academic medical centers saying this, when you've got your experts saying this, and when you've got the FDA approving these things, it creates this conventional wisdom and this information for the public where that are that's gonna be that's gonna lead to increased sales. And that's the whole point of it. The reason why the pharmaceutical industry is showering cash on on academic medicine and showering cash on the FDA. And the reason it works this way is that ultimately it leads to increased corporate profit, increased drug sales, um, which is what you know what they're aiming for. That doesn't, though, work for the best for the public. Um, so we really need to 
get back to where we've got these, um, what I would call the medical establishment, where the medical establishment, and that would be the physicians, the academic medical centers, the researchers, the FDA, the CDC, where these folks are all working on behalf of the public uh, rather than on behalf of the corporations, behalf on behalf of big pharma and the device makers. You know, do you think there's there's a chance of that change happening? Because as you know, as you said, there's so much money generated in sales that you know that the that, that pharmaceutical industry can buy power and influence. I think it's one of the largest lobby groups in Washington, isn't it? Yeah, I think that um, how to solve this is uh, how to solve this is challenging. I think getting independent voices out there um, like this is really important, and I think having a wary public, a skeptical public, actually does help with this. And at least from what I'm seeing. Just in general and also in my office, I think the public has become informed and is skeptical and wary. I think that they feel like, oh, all these people are being paid by the pharmaceutical industry. And uh, and it creates a lot of skepticism. And I think you're seeing that that's, uh, that that's becoming more prevalent in society where people just aren't buying these, these recommendations. You can have a recommendation that you need to take drug X, Y, or Z or whatnot. You can have that recommendation come from uh, the FDA, the CDC, the leading me- medical societies, and the public will often say, no, we're not going to do that. Um, and I think that's what we're starting to see, where there's this disconnect between these official recommendations and, and what the public is saying on these things, which is that they're, they're going to they're gonna refuse it, they're, they're not going to do it. You can only play the game where you buy from a pharmaceutical industry standpoint, you can only play that game where you where you're um, buying off or where you're paying the regulators, you're paying the the researchers, you're paying and you keep getting the the result you want. You can only play that for so long before people realize it's a rigged system. Um, and I think that there are a lot of people um, that are you know becoming more more and more aware of that and are looking for um, unbiased voices. Um, and uh, in, in this, and trying to 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 drill down and figure out, um, you know, what wh- what the actual accurate information is. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Thank you, Adam. Um, is there anything else that we hadn't touched on that you thought it was important to? I think the probably the biggest thing is is what I interjected in there previously, which is that the discussion of what an antidepressant um, is doing to a developing fetus uh, is an important one, and it's a scientific one, and it has to do with chemical exposures and embryonic and fetal development. But that is a different question than whether a given individual mom in my office or in any office should or should not stay on her medication during pregnancy. Uh, Pregnant women with mental health issues uh, deserve compassionate treatment, good care, and uh, shouldn't be um, made to feel guilty or ignored. And the counseling needs to be thorough and comprehensive and supportive. Um, And so my concerns about fetal exposure um, are not meant uh, to um, in any way uh, disregard the importance of mental health or ignore pregnant women with mental health issues uh, or not be sympathetic or compassionate to them. Uh, That being said, I do think it's very important for accurate counseling for women to be able to get them the information about what the effects uh, of these drugs are on developing babies. 
Uh, so I think that's important. The second thing I would say that's important and summing up here is, is, is the, the point that we've made several times, which is that chemicals have consequences. Don't forget when you're taking um, a, a medication as a patient, uh, when you think about medications, remember the, they're drugs or medications. These are synthetic chemical compounds. They're made in chemical manufacturing facilities, and they're going into your body, and they're typically going to have widespread effects. Um, and so it's important to sort of keep that in mind. We often aren't shown that. You know, I, I always like to joke when I give lectures on this that in the food industry, the orange juice makers, they want to show in their ads the orange trees and where it comes from comes right off the tree, right? You don't see that in the drug commercials. You get the, the people in a bathtub and the ocean and whatnot, but you're not seeing the chemical manufacturing facility where everybody's dressed in the white chemical suits and the goggles and shields making the chemicals that are then going to come out and ultimately be going into your body, into your brain and, and, and other organs. So it's very important to keep that in mind as a patient, as a citizen, as a consumer. These are chemical compounds and they have chemical effects. Um, and then I guess the last thing I'd want to emphasize is that this important talk really needs to happen with uh, women of childbearing age prior to pregnancy. We really want to address these things, not when they come in at eight weeks or 12 weeks or, you know, whenever they're coming in and in, in during development, you really want to be addressing these, these things earlier and addressing it also in general with the public about trying to inform the public um, about the risks, benefits, and alternatives to antidepressants specifically, but also medications in general. Adam, thank you so much. You know, you, you, you've done a beautiful job of explaining the science for us and, you know, telling us how important it is to have a, a human approach to these issues when you've got someone in front of you who needs advice and who might be in a difficult position and, you know, might have to take some difficult decisions. So, you know, I, I, I can see from talking to you, you know, how much that means to you as, you know, when you're counselling women and, and couples. So, you know, and I also can't imagine it's very easy to be a critical voice and to speak out on these issues given the you know the the, the resistance that's encountered so thank you for all you do adam and you know thank you for joining me today to talk about it for the podcast yeah thank you uh, as well i really i appreciate the opportunity and uh and being able to sort of uh, get the word out on it i appreciate your work and um and, and thanks for giving me the opportunity well, I just want to thank Adam so much for taking the time to chat. As I mentioned at the start, his MIA continuing education course on antidepressants in pregnancy is both informative and comprehensive. To find it, visit the education section on maddenamerica.com and enroll as a student to access this free course. So as always, thank you for listening today and until next time, take care. Thank you for listening to the Madden America podcast. Visit maddenamerica.com for more news, views and updates.